This is the Action Network Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM, the golf edition. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is Justin Ray from the 21st group. That's right, the 21st group. Maybe a little rebranding there. We're going to get into uh, this week's AT&T Byron Nelson at a new site, TPC Craig Ranch. We'll tell you everything we know about this place, which uh, admittedly might not be that much we'll get into making a dfs lineup and we'll get into our five questions in five minutes and first we'll probably talk a little bit about stuff that happened this past weekend because a whole lot happened in the world of golf including rory mcelroy coming back on mother's day to win for the first time in over a year and a half jay ray what's going on how you doing doing great uh it was great to see rory break through and get that win um, you know, I've been a long time coming. Uh, not sure. Not sure I can say I totally expected it. I know we talked a lot last week about how these guys with high ball flight and carry distance were going to excel at Wells Fargo. And I pinpointed Bryson DeChambeau and I just picked the wrong dude who had that kind of ball flight. It was the guy who had already won there twice. So um, absolutely deserving winner. My favorite number from that weekend ranked in the top three in driving distance, greens hit, scrambling and strokes gain putting. Only three players out of about 700 that have been ever tracked by ShotLink have won a tournament ranking in all four of those statistics. So mm. uh, really balanced, excellent performance by Rory McIlroy. Yeah, same. I just happened to pick the wrong dude. That's that's what I'm sticking with as well. Uh, I, I did like... Look, we have the characteristics. You know, I, we're, we're... Yeah, yeah. A, dry, a guy who drives it well and puts it well is basically what we said. And Rory drives it really well. When he's on, he's maybe the best driver of the golf ball that we've seen in this generation. And when he puts really well, he puts really well. Yeah, yes. best putting week statistically since he won at Bay Hill. So, yes. you know. Uh, just like we say every Monday, <laughs> if so-and-so plays like that every week, he's going to win a whole lot more. And, you know, that's the... Usual thing we say. By the way, I uh, spoke with Jeff Sherman, of course, the VP of Risk Management for Superbook Sports and at Golf Odds on Twitter, who really sets uh, the market prices on a lot of these things. And he had Rory McIlroy at 20 to 1 to uh, win again at Kiowa next week for the PGA Championship, of course, where he won nine years ago by eight shots. Had him at 20 to 1 on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, had some. Some sharp plays on him, moved it to 18 on Friday. A little more, moved it to 16. And after the victory, he is now chopped in half from what he was four days earlier. 10 to 1, tournament favorite, Rory McIlroy. That's aggressive. He's got a crazy first-round trend in Masters. I don't have the the number right in front of me, but over the last – since he – I think he won at Valhalla, it's like a 70-shot difference in relation to par. Really bad in the first round in majors – and then pretty good the rest of the week. So if he plays well Thursday in that opening round, I can only imagine that it's gonna that number's gonna need to dwindle even more. Doesn't it have Jordan Spieth vibes from last month where superstar player hadn't won in a long time? For Jordan, it was four years. Rory was a year and a half. Wins in his last start before a major championship where he's won in the past, and all of a Dominated sudden everyone jumps. Yes, exactly. And then everyone jumps on and says. You know what? It's got to be him. And, of course, Jordan played really well at the Masters. He finished in a share of third place. He could have won that golf tournament if he'd played a little bit better to start. Uh, 
that said, it, it, I just, it feels like a similar situation for Rory. I'm, I'm sticking with that. I'm going to spread it on the board. And in fact, I've made a few plays for next week already. Um, but I think that that even bigger range at 50 to 60 range has a lot of possibilities out there. Um, I, we can get into it. I, I've already made a couple of plays for next week. Uh, perhaps my favorite play for the PGA and I don't know if you've started looking at it or not, Jay Ray. I know I'm putting, putting you on the spot a little bit here, so I'll give you mine and you can weigh in and see if you uh, like any of them or have any of your own already. But uh, I'm going beneath the favorites. Uh, the shortest guy that I've bet so far is Victor Hovland, um, who I think has some um, obvious uh, really good momentum right now. I wish I had hopped on a month ago before a couple of third-place finishes the last few weeks. But really like Victor Hovland, obviously hard not to like him. And then – Dipping down to Abraham Answer, who's going to win very soon. Uh, that should be a good co- golf course for him. Matthew Fitzpatrick, um, I, I think, could uh, fit that golf course really well. And maybe my favorite play right now, Mark Leishman. I thought you were going to go with Leishman. That's a guy who I really like, too. I've had yeah. him circled since you mentioned him a little while back. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick leads the PGA Tour in strokes game putting over the last 10 weeks. Mm. Uh, that's, a, that's somebody, if he keeps that momentum going on the greens, he's driven it really well, drove it great at Harbortown. Um, and kind of, you know, same part of the world, you know, maybe, maybe he kind of brings that performance back to light too. So I like those, I like those numbers as well. Um, Colin Morikawa is somebody who's really interesting to me because, you know, he played well for a few days at Harbortown before kind of fading on the weekend with a short game. But um, I just feel like he's, he's just, how this guy is still under the radar week in, week out. It feels, just feels like uh, a place where he could be successful. I mean, he won the PGA championship last year at, and he's won a WGC this year, so I don't think it's too far off the board. But I haven't got too deep into my research yet. But I will say that in comparison to like this week where I think there's, you know, it's kind of a top-heavy board where the elite of the field is really strong. And then I think there's a big gap between the top of the board and maybe the rest. Absolutely. The PGA Championship, there's value everywhere. Like Adam Scott is 66 to 1. Mark Leishman is 66 to 1. Gary Woodland nearly won a Quail Hollow last week. Is 80 to 1 right now. I think there's – you got to do your research for for uh, for um, Kiowa. Wood, the Woodland's another one that I bet all So my mind's a little fried. I apologize. But no, no, no. Right. we got to dig a little bit on Kiowa because I think there's there's value in a lot of places. Yes. I mean, I, I just figured out, by the way, that it's Kiowa, not Kiowa. I've been calling it Kiowa for nine years, and I've been told by South Carolinians that it is Kiowa. And so Kiowa. I'm doing a lot of radio from – Kiowa, and I've got to start calling it Kiowa, and I'm going to say it as much as I can over the next week so that when we get to that week, I, I'm not screwing it up. By the way, I have also bet the guy that I'm betting this week is my favorite outright, uh, a slight little tease there. We'll get to our picks for the Nelson in a little bit. Um, one, one more thing about, uh, about Rory moving forward. I, it just it looked like it all came together. I mean, and, and we've seen it now with Spieth, as I mentioned, Hideki Matsuyama hadn't won in four years on, on the women's side, Lydia Ko, Aria Jutanagard. I mean, we've seen these superstar players just all of a sudden kind of, Hey, bang, snap my fingers. And all those struggles have just kind of washed away. And I've figured out how to play golf and win golf tournaments again. Uh, do we think this is sustainable for Rory McIlroy moving forward? Uh, I think the, the people who had won would uh, debate that it was a snap of the fingers. I mean, it was a pretty long <laughs> snap of the fingers for Jordan Speed. Okay, fair. Olivia Coe okay. to build back Very up. Fair. And Rory's been working. I know we know, I mean, much publicized, starting to work with Pete Cowan um, and the, the 
benefits of that kind of coming to fruition last week in Charlotte. Um, look, class is permanent and uh, Rory's too talented to be down for too long. I mean, we talked about it being a big drought. It was just 25 starts, I think worldwide between wins. Like, you know, it seemed like a long time. The pandemic probably played into that and it felt like, all right, he had, and uh, most of us probably weren't watching live when he won in China the last time he won the WGC HSB champion. So it feels like it had been a long time and he had drifted down the world ranking a little bit, but not all droughts are created equal, right? Like this was, this was a down period in terms of by Rory standards, but um, it's no surprise that he got back into the winner's circle. It was really just a matter of time. You mentioned Pete Cowan, Justin, and I don't know if his stable is full or whether he's soliciting uh, more players out there to come work with him. If it is indeed the latter, Pete Cowan's going to get some phone calls this week from a lot of players who go, "Uh, dude, that guy looked lost a few weeks ago, and now he won at a big boy golf tournament, big boy golf course. Uh, Please. Getting some awesome golf shots. Here's here's a blank check. Here's a blank check, Pete. Come work with me and fix me. Uh, You know, you think you think a guy like Jason Day, you think and I know I know he's working with a new coach. Anyway, you think Ricky Fowler, like just so many of these players who are world class players, but not showing any sort of form whatsoever. Wouldn't just hand Pete Cowan a blank check right now and say, come work with me. I don't care what it takes. Uh, I need you right now. A beautiful, unknowing allusion to our five questions later that you just made. You had no idea, but uh, right there, a tie-in to something you'll see here about later in the podcast. Well, let's do it right now, then. Let's get to those five questions, and then we will start talking about this AT&T Byron Nelson at everyone's favorite course, TBC Craig Ranch. I mean, (laughs) uh, we barely have to even talk about it just because we say those words, we say the name of the course, and uh, just elicit so many memories from over the years. (laughs) I, I a legendary I venue. Yes. Uh, yes, of course. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's get into the five questions. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is five under. All right. Number one, Rory McIlroy won his 19th PGA Tour title on Sunday. There are now seven players with exactly 19 PGA Tour wins. It's a great class. Five of them are, are Hall of Famers. Can you name the five Hall of Famers who have exactly 19 wins? Rory, of course, not included in that list. I know one of them. So I, I can get one off the bat, and the others I'm going to have to work for. Boy, exactly 19. I'll Ernie give you Ellis. a minute to think. You know, it's an, it's an interesting number because one shy of 20. 20 was always that magic number for a lifetime right. exemption. I remember when DL3 won his 20th. Yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah. Deal. It's a big number in terms of PGA. It's not just a round number of 20. It's, it's a significant deal for a lifetime exemption on the PGA Tour. Yes. But, yeah, yeah five, there's seven, seven overall now, including Rory. Five are Hall of Famers. Some big names on this list. Can you name the five? I almost might be able to get the non-Hall of Fame. Uh Okay, so Ernie Els is one of them. Correct. Okay. This is not going to be easy. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll give you a give, hint. For give me a minute before I get to the hints. Give me a okay. minute here. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, I'm going to just start throwing names out because I'm really not sure. You tell me if I'm in the right neighborhood. Do you have, like, do you have the whole list? Like, it, Will you tell me if I'm like way off or like close with some of these guys? I will like, have the list in front of me, yes. Lanny Watkins. 
That is incorrect. Uh, I'm pulling up the list right now. Yeah, I want to know if I'm like at least on the right path. Lanny, right. Lanny finished with 21, so very okay. good. Very close. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Uh, fuzzy, Fuzzy Zeller. No, not even close. Not on the list. I gotta okay. find Fuzzy on this list. He's right, not. Sorry. He's not part of it. Okay. As I hit Control F and try to type Zeller to try to find it as quickly as possible on my computer, I'll give you a hint, and it, this won't be too over the top, but two of the names tied on this tied on this list mm-hmm. are always tied together in history. And they both have something very in common with where this tournament is held this week, this PGA tour event. It's not Byron Nelson. <laughs> no, no, but just think state of Texas. Think state of Texas. Tom kite. Correct. All right. Oof. Now you might be able to get another one after that hint. Uh, Tom Kite tied with another. Uh, These two are always linked together. Someone's linked with Tom Kite? Ben Crenshaw. Correct. Okay. Ben Crenshaw. Ben yeah. Kite, of course, teammates at the University of Texas. Okay. Yes. Yes. Maybe two. So, all right. Good so, point. Crenshaw, Ernie Els, Tom Kite. There's two others. These are way harder. So, if you punt is, on those, I, I'm okay. I might. The non hall thing is Craig Wood. No, that's a good okay. guess. Okay. Craig Wood, one of the only isn't he a multiple major winner, one of the only multiple major winners to not be in the Hall of Fame. Yes. So that's why I was thinking when you said there was one that wasn't in the Hall of Fame, I was going with him. Correction, Craig Wood is in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Oh, he, he might have just gotten in in the last year or so. 2008. <laughs> it's been a long year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pandemic. Yeah, we're all thrown out. I, I was, you were you hinted towards it, and I had that in my head too that he wasn't in. But the Action he, Network podcast would like to congratulate Craig Wood on <laughs> his induction <laughs> ceremony into the World Golf Hall of Fame. The other two are. Hang on, I got okay. one more guess. All right. I went deep. Claude Harmon. Incorrect. Another yeah. Masters winner though. Jimmy Demerit. No, you're in the right ballpark. Doug Ford is one of them, uh, and I Hubert wasn't getting Doug at 19 wins. So who, who's, really, the, who's the last one? I'm sorry. Hubert Green. Hubert Green. The non-Hall of Famer is Bill Melhorn. So these are these are kind of more a little bit more obscure names. Really just wanted to get the Ernie note in because Rory now 19 PGA Tour wins, four majors. Ernie Els, 19 PGA Tour wins, four majors. Kind of an interesting synchronicity there. All right, number two. That was kind of a long first one. Byron Nelson, of course, the namesake for this week's tournament. Which of Iron Byron's records is more unbreakable? Wins in 11 straight PGA Tour starts <laughs> or 18 wins in a single PGA Tour season, which I, is I, more unbreakable. Yes. I mean, yes, come on. Yes answer. is the right answer. I, I, I guess it's 11 straight. Don't you think like, all right, let's say somebody gets really play 18 times in a season now. No one's playing that much. Exactly. Like, well, Okay, the 11 straight, does it have to be 11 straight events or just 11 straight starts? That starts. So Tiger's okay. best out is seven straight PGA Tour starts, which is insane. Yes. Seven in a row. But Byron Nelson in his 1948, 1942, I don't have it right in front of me. It was a, a year in the 40s when he won 18 times, and in that mix was 11 in a row. Yes. Now, maybe diluted just a little bit. A lot of guys were off to war at that point, and so he was – Back home, dominating, which... Significant caveat, yes. Yeah. 
That's okay. Um, You've already given the correct answer to this question is Uh, yes. Yes. The correct answer is yes. I 18 in a season or 11 straight. I, I I don't know that like neither, like they're not going to get broken. Um, By the way, I don't know if we're getting into this somewhere else, but I spent two days with Peggy Nelson on what would have been Byron's hundredth birthday nine years ago about, and she is the coolest woman in the world. And we went, we were on the ranch and we went to his favorite breakfast spot and we went to the Byron Nelson high school. And we just, we kind of did everything that Byron did on a regular basis. I'm a huge Byron Nelson guy. Awesome. I love it. Love to hear that. Texas boy here loves to hear that. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll move on to number three. Now less likely to be broken either of those Byron Nelson records or Tiger Woods run of 142 straight made cuts. Which, ironically, was snapped at the 2005 Byron Nelson. Yes, it was. Uh, someone will break the made cut streak way before they break the Nelson one. Really? Okay. I mean, at some point, like, someone's going to I think there's a better chance of, like, the sun eating the planet than, than any of these being fall. The, yes. Fall. No, I agree with that. That, that <laughs> has probably, like, minus 120 odds in this question right now. But uh, – well, I, I mean, I'm thinking ahead to like the once guys, you know, once Dustin Johnson leaves for the PGL and makes the cut every week, then, you know, 142 straight just isn't really a big deal when there are no cuts. So there. Okay. Good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're looking long term. We've got to take everything into account. All right. Number four, we talked about earlier, we've seen so many victory droughts into the golf world this year. Brooke Henderson, Jordan Spieth, Lydia Ko, Hideki Matsuyama at the Masters. Now Rory snaps that relatively wrong, long run for him without a win. Who is more likely to break their victory drought next, Jason Day or Ricky Fowler? Mm. Both men are in the field this week. I think Day has to be closer. Um, it, it felt like back in January, February, like even bleeding into February a little bit, it felt like Jason Day was like, kind of there like he, he was playing pretty well not like a serious title contention here and there but it, it felt like it was kind of there ricky ricky hasn't been there in a long time now and so i think that jason day has the better chance just on a random week where it's like hey i got hot and the feelings came back and everything clicked for me and i can go out there and, and rely on everything i know as a player and a winner to go out and triumph against a big field uh, more so than Ricky. Even when Ricky was playing his best golf, he wasn't winning a whole lot. So I will go with Jason Day in that one. I probably agree with you there. Uh, Day also last summer had some really sneaky positive metrics. He was kind of mm-hmm. trending in the right. Like if if his name was you know Jim Day and we never heard of the guy before, he'd be somebody you would pick like deep on the leaderboard. Be like, yeah, I see some numbers here for player X that are really working out. It's just that it was former world number one Jason Day. The only question I'd have is that you know health has never been really a problem for Ricky. Whereas with Day, you know, it has been a little bit here and there, but Jason Day's ceiling is much higher than Ricky Fowler's throughout his career so far. So I probably have to agree with you that uh, I'd go with Day as well. I don't like getting into sort of the personal stuff too much. If if there's something I know that's affecting a player in his personal life, I might say, hey, I, I'm going to fade this guy. But, you know, I don't like to, you know, say because I will tell you that from what I've heard, uh, Ellie Day is pregnant with their fourth child right now. And wow. from being around the day family, like congratulations to them. That's great. I think that 
such an experience may impact Jason Day inside the ropes more so than it would impact another player. I'll put it that way. Huh. Okay. All right. We'll keep an eye on that. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Number five. This, this is one of the more incredible facts in golf, I think, but it always comes up whenever this tournament comes around. This is Jordan Spieth's 10th career start in this yeah. tournament. How time flies. His best finish is still his tie for 16th place as a high school junior in 2010. That is his best career finish at the AT&T Byron Nelson, mm-hmm. his de facto hometown event. True or false, Jordan Spieth betters that this week. True. I think it's going to be a good week for him. I don't know about him in any history at Craig Ranch, but I've got to believe that uh, it could suit him better than Las Colinas. That was always sort of the dirty little secret in Camp Spieth, being around Jordan and uh, a lot of the people around him for a long time, that uh, the Nelson's the one that gave him his first start. The Nelson's the one that he used to climb over the fence with his dad, and they kind of snuck in. I mean, it, it sounds more romantic than it was. It was like they knew somebody on the seventh hole or something and parked in their driveway and just kind of went in through the backyard. It wasn't like they kind of really snuck in like that, but it, it sounded good, at least when you were writing it back in the day. And so um, it, it's the one that he's the most loyal to, but uh, around Camp Speed, there was always talk that Colonial, the Crosstown event, always suited him much better than any of these venues they've had the Byron Nelson on. Which one has he won at? He's won exactly. Colonial before. He hasn't yeah. won this one. So just incredible, though, to think that, first of all, that was 10 years ago. I remember I was the researcher on Scott Van Pelt show radio show. And we talked to Jordan Spieth the Monday after, I don't know he, he like got out of like chemistry class or what <laughs> on that Monday to come on the radio show at one in the afternoon. But he sounded like he was about 33 years old giving the interview. And I don't know. We like Kyle kind of after uh, the interview was over, everyone in the studio, everyone working on the show looked at each other like, what, what was that? That kid, there's no way that kid's 16. It's unbelievable. So great things portended in his future. And uh, obviously it's all come to fruition with the success he's had. So those are the five questions. Great questions by you this week, Jay Ray. Um, I will use the last of those questions to segue into this week's AT&T Byron Nelson at TPC Craig Ranch, as I mentioned. And I did a little research. You're not the only guy that can dig deep into the dark web on the internet and, go find some cool stats, but that makes it sound uh, way more nefarious than it is. If you call it the dark <laughs> web, that's you're like fight. paying people off for stats and stuff yeah, like that. No back channels and stuff. <laughs> no. uh, what I did find and I, you know, it's pretty easy to find this, but Scotty Scheffler, much like Jordan Spieth has been playing this event since he was in high school. He also uh, back in 2014, when he was 17 years old, finished T 22. And how good was that that week? He beat Martin Keimer, who was in between winning the players in the U.S. Open. And so, I mean, like that, that was really good at the time. I did a little research to see if that, I wonder if Scotty Scheffler's ever played uh, TBC Craig Ranch. And what I found is that back when he was nine years old and listed as Scott Alexander Scheffler, he played a nine-hole co-ed event at the Metro – what was it called? The Metro Golf Championship – uh, the seven to nine division, he had just turned nine years old and he shot a one over 37 on the back, made two birdies, which was one more than the rest of the entire field combined one by seven shots, beat the kid in the last place. Poor kid who shot a 67, uh, beat him by 30 shots on the back nine there. Oh, he's just throwing that kid under the bus. Part of like an accountant or something now. <laughs> part of a stretch where Scotty, or excuse me, Scott Alexander Scheffler won 
12 out of 13 that summer, but it paled in comparison to what he did as an eight-year-old. As an eight-year-old, he had won 14 times in a row. So if I had been there as a reporter when he was nine years old and winning that event, I'd say, hey, Scott, you know, you're playing pretty well right now, but uh, not quite as good as you were when you were eight. What's gone wrong with your swing right now? And, you know, I'd make the kid cry. And, you know, I'm sure uh, – and Scheffler looks like he's 48 years old right now being a 24-year-old. I'm sure back when he was nine, he looked like he was 18 – and he probably could just like stomped on me at the time. Sure. I'm sure there were some parents questioning whether or not this nine-year-old who just carded two birdies <laughs> was, was really, was really on the up and up. I'll give you a quick, uh, my own Texas junior golf anecdote when I quickly learned that I was not going to be a professional golfer. So I would get my tail kicked in Houston golf association events all the time, finish like, you know, middle of the pack at best. I went out one day, broke 80 in a tournament for the first time in my life. I was like, 13 years old. I was so fired up thinking I played so well. I came in and Bronson Burgoon, who's now on the PGA tour, sure, who sure. was my, his older brother was on my little league all-star team, but Bronson two years younger than me, I'd shot like 78. I was on top of the world. He shot like 62. Like it was, oh my God. I came in and saw that. And I was like, I don't want to play golf anymore. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go try to be like the right guard for the football team or something. Like this is a waste of my time. So anyway, that's, he was the equivalent of, of, of Scott Alexander Scheffler. That's really good. Uh, Burgoon in the field, by the way, this week, if you'd like to pick on Jay Ray's nemesis, uh, put him on your betting card there. Uh, so I, I did a little research, uh, not necessarily on TBC Craig ranch, but uh, what I found, and I wrote about in my column this week, my preview piece uh, on the Action Network, Justin, is that uh, nine times in the past five seasons, there's been either a new PGA Tour event or a PGA Tour event that's moved to a new location. And these are not one-offs. These are not events that are part of a rotation and go to a, a different course every once in a while. These are ones that ostensibly, at least at the time, were locked into a specific course on a regular basis. And the reason why I sort of uh, backed it up like that is because I, I think there's a major difference between going to a course uh, for some regularity uh, and what's ostensibly annually, uh, as opposed to just coming there for a one-off because what I found in those nine events, the winning score four times was at least 21 under par. And in fact, was an average of 17.8 strokes under par. The field average in those nine events on four occasions was sub 70 for a field average, which is ridiculous. And the field actually averaged 70.62 in those nine events, meaning uh, great scoring additions in these particular cases. And that is not just a coincidence. I, I will give you a few reasons for this. The PGA Tour, I believe and especially in a tournament that's the week before a major championship, the best players don't want to get their butts kicked before a week that could indeed kick their butts. And so this is, has nothing to do with coddled PGA Tour players and they need easier conditions. It's just if you set it up a little too hard this week and the wind starts blowing and you're really getting at these players, they don't want to come back the next year, especially the week before a major. And so I think you almost have to set it up easier. You have to... Um, make it so that the top players want to come back. You'll get a good field the next year so that uh, when the players talk and they all talk, trust me, there's not a whole lot to do when you're walking down the fairways with a couple of playing partners on a Thursday morning. And so you say, Hey, how was last week? 
you know, what do you think of the course? What do you think of the venue? And so these guys will all talk to each other. If there are glowing reports, they will get players to come back. And so how do we use all of this to our advantage this week? Great question. What I think is that I'm glad we're looking I asked for it. guys. Yes, thank you. Uh, we're looking for guys who can make a lot of birdies. Now, granted, Bryson DeChambeau is in the field this week. Bryson makes a lot of birdies. Okay, we get that. Uh, you know, Jordan Spieth, birdies in bunches. We get that. You can dig a little deeper, and I'll get some of the names that I found, but I think birdie average, birdie or better percentage, rounds in the 60s this year, I think those are all stats that I have looked at in my preview this week and I think could be relevant for this week's festivities at Craig Ranch. What do you think? If I could ask you quick, like I've put on your reporter hat, and maybe this is a little speculative, but the last two years when this term was at Trinity Forest, I believe mm-hmm. was the name of the venue, yep. players went crazy low. Like it was – Scott Piercy did not make a bogey over 72 holes and he finished runner up the yep. last time that tournament was held there. So my question is, is there a need to try to maybe make this golf course a little bit tougher in that sense? Is that, does that ever come into the setup or do you think what you said maybe weighs a little bit heavier and that you want guys to be happy and, and come in and, you know, come back to this new venue. It's really difficult for, a committee or for a tournament official or whoever it might be to look at a golf course on a Monday afternoon and say, Hey, if we keep it the way it is 14 under is going to win this week. I mean, we ask players all the time. I've been asking players for years. I, you know, I, I still remember Jerry Kelly, who is a Wisconsin native asking him about whistling straights of the O four PGA. And he goes 15 over is going to win this thing. It's going to be nuts. And of course, it wasn't anything close to that. It was under par. And, and I remember I've been at two different U.S. Opens where uh, I was working at for TV, and t- both times a major champion said before Marion, he said these guys are going to rip this apart. Thirteen under is going to win. Uh-huh. Of, course, of course, like Rose won it like two over par. Yeah. And then at Aaron Hills, when it was super long and the rough looked like from a distance, it was like, man, this is going to be really tough. A different major champion on a different television network was like. <laughs> these guys are they're, they're going to struggle here they're not going to struggle to make birdies and it was the lowest scoring u.s open in history so even those with just wealth of information can be thrown off there we'll give yes. you that. so the the answer is nobody knows and especially you throw in like wind conditions and like hey it was supposed to blow 15 miles an hour it blew 35 miles an hour we set up the course moderately hard and all of a sudden it turned into a u.s open out there and again there are reasons why the tournament officials, why the PGA Tour would not want to make it so difficult on the players that they don't want to come back because, quite frankly, they need to have an event with some players next year. And, you know, if they alienate all of the best players and they don't come back next year, they don't really have an event. And if they have an event, it's not one that anyone's watching. You're, you're killing your own TV ratings. You're killing your own TV revenue, the ad revenue, uh, tickets, sponsor value, all that stuff. So, so there are a whole lot of reasons, business reasons, why uh, they will err on the side of caution this week. You look back to uh, what was the first year of the Greenbrier when they'd never been there before. Stuart Appleby won that golf tournament shooting a 59 in the final round. It was just, it was too easy. But once you get into the week, you can't look at it and say, uh, you know what, we got to make it tougher. It, it is what it is at that point. And so I, I don't expect anything different this week. It, it might not be 28 under par winning this golf tournament, but I don't think it's going to be eight under par either. 
Yeah, the wind, and we, when you're in suburban Dallas or North Texas in general, that wind variance is a big deal, right? Because, you know, they're going to set it up to where it's not unplayable when you've got 25, 30 mile an hour winds, which can happen in central and in North Texas. But at the same time, they get some rain showers in the morning and there's some heavy air there and there's no wind, then, you know, guys are going to go pin seeking. So just to give you an example of the winning scores at the Byron Nelson Championship, 2011, three under one. And the last time it was held, 23 under one. So <laughs> that gives you an idea of the kind of gap that you can kind of work with. Um, I, they did have a couple of different Corn Ferry Tour championships here, 2008 mm-hmm. and 2012. I don't glean a lot from it, but I thought it was fun to look at the leaderboard and go back and check out some of the names. I don't take, once again, I take no gambling information from this, but Mark Leishman in 2008 finished seventh. Webb Simpson finished 11th. Um, and then in 2012, James Hahn was the runner-up. Adam Hadwin finished third. Russell Henley finished tied for six. So just some interesting names that are relevant in the game today that have been on that golf course before. None of those guys are in the field this week, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Leishman is, but like, I don't think Webb is this week. So no, no, Webb's still nursing some injuries, by the way. He didn't want to come back. He, yeah, we didn't need to come back and relive his tie for 11th at the 08 Corn Ferry Championship. And, and I will apologize to you and, and those who watched the gimme last week. I, I made some subtle allusions to Webb Simpson perhaps not going out there on Thursday and playing. I didn't necessarily know at the time, but I had gotten some off-the-record information at the time saying, hey, Webb might be injured. Okay, what can I do with that? Well, really nothing. Okay, cool, thanks. Well, so I knew that to some extent he wasn't feeling 100%. I had no idea that he was going to withdraw – I just knew that there's something and plenty of times over the years, we've heard a player is not 100%. They go tee it up and they go win the golf tournament by five and say, yeah, you know, I was really banged up. And so I just concentrated on swinging the way I could swing. And then I won the golf tournament, you know, Patrick, Patrick Harrington back in the, I believe 07 PGA is a prime example. I always look at that as one where he almost withdrew and then won the golf tournament. So uh, I mean, that's all well and good. That's all well and and good. I tried to help you. You definitely let your boy, me, say that Webb Simpson was the best bet of the week. You let me say that with a straight face while you had that information in your back pocket. I'm not ready to forgive you yet. I will in time. I will in time. Just I'm not, I'm not ready yet. Here's the deal. You did better with your Webb Simpson bet than I did with my Harold Varner bet. Harold Varner played and missed the cut, and I made $0 on everything I bet on Harold Varner. You got a pre tea time withdrawal from Webb Simpson and got all your money back. I would trade you in an instant. (laughs) Maybe it was the best bet of the week. Can't lose. (laughs) This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. 
Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Uh, let's start looking down uh, these odds for this week here at the AT&T Byron Nelson. Uh, Dustin Johnson, by the way, a late withdrawal. By the way, are you uh, – does this make you any more pessimistic about Dustin Johnson going into next week's major championship? The fact that he has withdrawn with a, an apparent knee injury. By the way, his statement started, it is with deepest regret – that I must withdraw. I, I can almost hear Dustin Johnson saying those exact words. Almost, almost. Yeah, I, maybe it gives me a little bit of caution, but I mean, look, his his fiance posted a video of him doing a backflip off a yacht last week. Bottom <laughs> events in home state, South Carolina. Let's look at uh, Bet MGM's odds for this week. As of right now, we're speaking five forty three Eastern Time Monday afternoon. John Rom. Plus 700, 7 to 1. He is your favorite coming off a missed cut last week. Bryson DeChambeau thought he missed the cut. And uh, it's nice to have a NetJets account. You just hop on the plane, hop back on the plane, and get there for your third round. Tea time, finish in T9, and you're able to pay for all that gas that you used up. He is 8 to 1. Jordan Spieth, 10 to 1. Daniel Berger, 14. Brooks Kepka coming back off that lengthy absence. He is 18, along with Matt Fitzpatrick. Hideki playing his first event since winning that Masters thing. He is 20 to 1, as is Scotty Scheffler. Will Zalatoris, 25 to 1. Mark Leishman at 30. Siwoo Kim, 33. Sam Burns in his first start after winning the Valspar is 35 to 1. Then a whole bunch of guys after that. I do think that uh, right around that 65 to 70 to 1, there's a pretty big cutoff, as you alluded to earlier, Justin. Uh, What are you looking at at the top of this board? Who do you like? Well, I had all these notes ready as of about an hour ago on why I like Dustin Johnson this week. But, mm. um, you know, apparently they, that's all out the window. So you got to adjust. You had to call the audible on the fly. Um, Rom is the rightful favorite, I think. I mean, he missed the cut last week at Wells Fargo. That doesn't worry me too much uh, in particular. Two of the last three times he missed a cut, he followed it up with a win and a third-place finish. Um, his talent is going to carry him everywhere he goes, and I wouldn't be too, too discouraged by that missed cut. It's really difficult to pick against Jordan Spieth with the way he's played over the last couple of months. Um, my favorite Spieth number going into the week. Since 2015, Jordan Spieth is 160 under par in PGA Tour events in Texas, 56 shots better than any other player in that span. So um, I know he plays more than pretty much anybody in Texas. I know he kind of feels the obligation to play a lot, but he's among leaders in birdie average and scoring average in Texas events. The best number, though, about Jordan's form 26 of his last 29 rounds on the PGA tour. He's gained strokes with his approach play. Mm. I mean, that is a awesome number for him. Um, and something that's going to like, he's really interesting, not just this week, but next week. And I know yeah, he's got, yeah, yeah. it's really the first time in a couple of years where he goes into the PGA and you're really thinking about him closing out the grand slam. It really hasn't been there probably since what, maybe 2017 at Quail Hollow was probably the best last chance that we he went into the PGA and we thought it was a realistic shot. 
Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick's really interesting to me this week. Um, mm-hmm. it, it remains to be seen like how big of a benefit distance is going to be. Um, but he drove the ball incredibly accurately and was very effective with his driver at Harbor Town. Uh, played well that week. And as I said earlier, he's the leader in strokes game putting on the PGA Tour over the last two months. Uh, going back to Jordan Spieth, by the way, with the chance to cash in the career Grand Slam ticket. Uh, isn't it funny that we hear all about Rory at the Masters like all the time? I mean, I heard something about Rory at the Masters yesterday after he won at Quail Hollow, looking ahead 11 months, and yet, oh, by the way, Jordan Spieth can win next week at Kiowa and become the sixth ever to claim the career Grand Slam. Um, the, it's be, the romanticism of Augusta, right? Yeah, it's you're the right. romantic, we always go back to the same place, the PGA Championship is at a different spot every year. So maybe that's part of it, but you're right. I feel like we're going to hear about, it's like Phil with the U.S. Open. We're going to hear about it until if it happens and then if it doesn't or whatever, you know, it's going to be part mm-hmm. of the narrative no matter what. Yeah, I, I think uh, scrambling is going to be very big next week, which is a, a big reason why I like speed. That's what I, I mentioned Leishman earlier. Leishman can get up and down from a garbage can. So I think the same thing, of course, about speed. And so I like speed this week when I talk about having birdies in bunches, uh, being available on this golf course, Spieth is a guy that makes birdies in bunches. And so I uh, like him. It's it's hard not to like Rom or Desham, but I just, this feels like one of those weeks where, yes, one of the favorites could win, but it could just be at something out of nowhere. I mean, I get that it was a different golf course, but Sung Kang a couple of years ago won this golf tournament. Sung Kang, I, okay, fine. I, you know, it just, it could be one of those. My, uh, my favorite outright play, and I don't, I don't mind Matt Fitzpatrick, who you mentioned. I don't dislike that at all. My favorite outright play from the top tier is Scotty Scheffler. Uh, mentioned him earlier as Scott Alexander Scheffler. He has matured into Scotty. He is a very good player. If we're going to get a first-time winner, uh, the odds would show that it would be either, well, uh, Fitzpatrick hasn't done it either. It would be Fitz or himself or Will Zalatoris, a bunch of pretty good options there near the top of the board. But I do think Scotty, back in his home state, and of course he knows so well because he's been playing events there since he was nine years old. I, I kid about that. I'm not picking him because he won an event there for nine holes back when he was nine. But the fact that at least he's seen the place before, which is more than you can say about most players, I do think that helps just familiarity and comfortability when you get to a course this week. Yeah, especially, I mean, it's an event where what? A hundred guys are going to be seeing it for the first time, maybe more. I mean, just any kind of incremental advantage you might have in terms of pre-tournament prep and just what to expect on the golf course. I mean, it's going to be, you got to think it's going to be a little bit beneficial. So you see some names in the middle, like in the mid range, like in the top 20 in terms of odds, Doug Gim, 66 to one. Is that more like a, Course knowledge, like University of Texas. He went to Texas. That, that's the I correlation that's why, there, I, mean, I think. He's 66 to 1, and Matt Kuchar is 80 to 1. I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of a, an odd number on the board right there. But, yeah, no, there, anytime there's any kind of incremental value that you can grab from some course history, I think there's going to be a little bit of weight to that this week. Keith Mitchell is 80 to 1. Ooh. I like Keith Mitchell a lot. We'll, we'll start dipping down into some of these, uh, some of these guys. And I'll go back to guys that can make birdies. And so I looked at, and all this stuff is in my preview at actionnetwork.com and on the Action Network app. But I look at guys, uh, birdie average. Harry Higgs has not played great golf. 24th on the PGA Tour in birdie average this year. That surprised me. Tom Hoagie, 33rd on the PGA Tour. He's also, by the way, 14th in first round scoring average. I like him for a hundred to one 
first round leader bet, Sebastian Munoz, 37th in birdie average. Going to give you some other names, birdie or better percentage. This sort of mirrors birdie average, as you would think, but uh, some of the names that aren't too far off base, Anurban Lahiri, Doug Gim, Patton Kazire. And then I looked at the number of rounds in the 60s because, look, you're going to have to shoot probably four rounds in the 60s if you're going to win. So I want guys that aren't afraid to go low this week. Again, Patton Kazire jumps out. He's sixth on the PGA Tour. Now, granted, this is not percentage of rounds that are in the 60s, just total rounds. So the more you play, the more chances you have. But Patton Kazire has uh, posted rounds in the 60s in more than 40% of his rounds this season, which is really impressive. He's sixth on the PGA Tour. Uh, other guys playing this week that are up there that you might not think would be up there, Carlos Ortiz, Sepp Straka, I like him a little bit, Sam Burns, Hideki, Nate Lashley, Andrew Putnam. So I'm giving you a lot of names there that are sort of down the board, guys that can make birdies, guys that can go low. Where are you looking a little bit further down the board? First of all, it wouldn't be an Action Network podcast without you mentioning the name Sepp Straka. It wouldn't. I mean, that's that is your guy. Uh, yeah, I do like but, that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned one of the guys I'm really high of. So over the last decade, one player has averaged more birdies per round in the state of Texas than anybody. Sebastian Munoz. Ooh. He is the highest birdie average in the PGA Tour events in the state of Texas. Might say a little bit something about you know, course fit, maybe playing in the wind. Maybe that's something he's good at, but he's got a, uh, he had a tie for ninth at San Antonio in the start right before the masters. He's coming off back-to-back missed cuts, but I'm not too worried about that. I think that actually kind of helps his value him being under the radar. Now I want to ask you something real quick. Yeah, being a native Texan yourself and still living in the state of Texas, I would have thought that you of all people would say, look, Texas isn't like this little place that's got a bunch of golf courses within like 10 miles of each other. And so if you play well on one, you play well on the other. Like Sebastian Munoz has gone from Houston to San Antonio to Austin to Dallas to Fort Worth in combining all those stats, all of which are completely different golf courses. What are we supposed to think when, when we see a stat? And you mentioned that of Jordan Spieth earlier. He's got a really good record, much better than anybody else in the state of Texas over the last handful of years. Can we put them all together? Are the Texas courses uh, a correlation enough to each other that we can group them all together? Or should we not really look at that as much? I would take it with an enormous grain of salt. What I will say is that there are probably some course similarities, especially when you look at history and the Dallas Fort Worth area type golf courses. But like you said, like Lubbock and Houston don't have a whole lot in common with each other from a topographical or weather standpoint, there's not, not a whole lot going on there. They're, they're 10 hours apart. Like it's, you know, it's, they're two very different places, but I can't, I will say though, that there probably are enough rounds in similar type conditions, whether it's weather time of year for a lot of these, like the, the tournaments in May colonial uh, Byron Nelson, um, you know, San Antonio is a little bit earlier on the schedule, but there's some correlation there. Um, I can't, there's a little bit of a factor there. So I wouldn't go, Over, it's not like it's the number one thing I'm looking at, but on a golf course that we have no previous rounds at, you've got to try to find something to try to draw some trends in together. Um, another name who I think is really interesting, a guy who got the less publicized special exemption into the PGA Championship when Ricky Fowler got it, an American named John Catlin, who's won three mm-hmm. times on the European Tour since September. In his last three starts worldwide, he's got a win and a top five. In both of those tournaments on the European Tour, he ranked in the top five in both strokes gained tee to green and strokes gained approach. That was in his win at the Austrian Open and a top five finish in the Canary Islands. 
college golf in New Mexico from California. This environment's not going to be too weird to him, even though he's a global player and's been playing a lot in Europe. He's kind of, I'm not going to call him following the Kepka model because the talent probably isn't at that level, but he's following a kind of blueprint, build yourself up in the world ranking, take advantage of the opportunities when you get it. It's kind of an interesting, an interesting route to take that Brooks Kepka is most famous for, but John Catlin's a really interesting name this week. I'm going to probably put, play him for a top 20. And then my most interesting name on this board coming off his appearance at the Walker cup last week, the number two amateur in the world, Pearson Cootie. Now, I have no idea what to expect from the kid. Amateur's performances are so volatile, but the odds makers are pretty high on this kid. He's got the same odds as Rafa Cabrera-Bayo and J.B. Holmes. So number two amateur in the world from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, plays for the University of Texas. I'm sure he's played Craig Ranch a time or two. He's 300 to one. Poor Tyler Strafacci. All he's done is be the the reigning U.S. amateur champion, played the Masters this year. He's 1,000 to one. I mean, we're, I, I get it. One of them's from Texas and the other one isn't. Cole Hammer's from Texas. He's 500 to one. Bo Hostler's take, 400 to one. He's a lot okay. more. I, I will take your hat. I will play Hammer over Cootie this week if you want a little side action. Okay. I'll go with that. Why not? Let's have okay. a little fun. I, I just said he was interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how he's going to play. Betting on amateurs is an incredibly volatile. You know, you can probably, some weeks you're going to find a ton of value. I think eventually we're going to have another amateur win on the PGA Tour. It's probably not going to be this week, but he's an interesting name to look at, and there's a reason why he's in that kind of middle-of-the-road tour pro odds to win this tournament. Well, two things. First of all, Jordan Spieth finished 16th when he was still in high school. Scotty Scheffler finished 22nd when he was still in high school, both at this event. And the other thing is, by the way, betting on amateurs, when you can win more money on them than they can win, it's a really good feeling. I mean, even even if you're just like, hey, I want a hundred. Feels kind of evil, but yeah. Some cootie this week. That's more than he got. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I've won college basketball pools before. I can't criticize. I'll give you one more name because I mentioned him last week. Uh, Vince Whaley has taken over the uh, unofficial most under the radar player on the PGA Tour. He's got uh, six straight starts now inside the top forty. He was. Where was he last week? Fifteenth? Uh, Is that where he finished? He was up pretty there. Pretty good call. You you followed my formula and you ended up with a pretty good week. Yeah, I wish I had hammered him a little harder in a few different places, but uh, let's see, Vince. I got close too. I had Cameron Davis was my bet model. Twenty six. There we go. Twenty six. Okay, still that's that's a pretty impressive performing over your baseline type type situation there for yep. uh, Whaley. That's interesting. Yeah. So I. Look, uh, if you want to pick a guy who's hot and not getting any credit for being hot, Vince Whaley is a guy that uh, obviously has some some value right now. So let's get to our DFS lineup. We do it every week on the Gimme as well with Amanda Rose, and you and I do it right here on the pod. Uh, come on, Mr. Texas, I'll let you go first. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Okay, uh, with DJ off the board, we're pulling this up and looking through. I will go with my first pick, a player you mentioned. He nearly won the match play in Texas. It's your favorite play on the board, you said, to win outright. Uh, give me Scotty Scheffler at 9,400 to start our team on. 
Well, I'm certainly not going to complain if you're stealing my pick. So I, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, I don't like chasing. You know, there are uh, certain players. If you're not an absolute superstar, well, you're probably only contending on the PGA Tour a handful of weeks. So what are the odds that one of those weeks is going to be directly after one of those other weeks? That said, I love the way Keith Mitchell is hitting the golf ball right now. Uh, he mashes it. From what I hear, there should be generous landing areas at TBC Craig Ranch where you could be able to just bomb it all over the place. Keith Mitchell's a guy that makes a lot of birdies. He had 20 last week, ranked second in the field, uh, finished in third place, uh, was in that final pairing, of course. I'm putting Keith Mitchell on here. What do you think about that? I like that pick, especially the way he struck the ball last week in Charlotte. Uh, you got to expect that to carry on uh, into next week. I think that's a good value at 8000 uh, up next, I'm going to go with a guy I mentioned already. Uh, you, you poked some holes in my Texas note, but <laughs> this guy's had a lot of success in the state of Texas in his career. I don't know if he just dials it up on these type of golf courses, but he has the highest birdie average of any player on the PGA Tour over the last decade with 20 or more rounds on uh, courses in the state of Texas. Sebastian Munoz, 7,600, I think is a really good value. I'll put him on the team, 7,600. Looking at a player that I hadn't looked at previously, I was looking more kind of top tier and lower tier. And this, this mid-tier, don't have a whole lot that I like, honestly. The, you know, and when I talk mid-tier, I'm talking guys who are in the 7,400 to uh, 8,900 range on DraftKings. Um, so in that spot, there aren't a whole lot of names that I really like. There's a guy who's a really good ball striker, and he's shown to be a really good wind player. Um, he's played well at the Honda in the past. He was 46th this year, played really well at the Players' Championship. Taylor Gooch is a guy that I think just uh, at some point, Taylor Gooch is going to have another really solid title contention, might pick off a win somewhere. Uh, played at Oklahoma State, his college golf. He's played the wind a lot. I just feel like that could be a guy who could – uh, look at this event and say, hey, here's one that's right for the picking for me. I like it. I mean, good spot. Good. It's going to be similar course conditions to what he played um, at Oklahoma State, Stillwater, for all the for his years in college. I like that. So now we've got Scheffler, Munoz, Mitchell, Gooch, 17,100 left to go. A little bit of money to play with. Um, you know, Ryan Palmer is interesting to me, but 9,100 feels like a lot of money for Ryan Palmer. I'm going to skip him. Um, you know, I was so high on the metrics for Harris English earlier in the year, but he really hasn't played as well uh, over the last couple of months. Spend uh, some so money. Was, you talked about Matthew Fitzpatrick earlier and how much you like him as putting recently. If that's a guy that you like, I don't mind you spending money because I can go deep on this and find okay, some guys well, lower. Let's go. With, let's go with. Let's go with the hottest putter on the PGA Tour. Then Matt Fitzpatrick. He yeah. leads the PGA Tour in strokes gained putting since the beginning of the Phoenix Open. Um, his, you know, he's playing the best golf of his professional career straight up over the last six, nine, 12 months or so. Um, give me Matt Fitzpatrick kind of hitting a new echelon in his career, $9,500. Yeah, I like that. And I apologize. I called him Matthew a couple of times so far. He has, uh, put out a statement that he would like to be called Matt. And so, we'll, yeah, we'll get it right in time. <laughs> I, I'm just going to call him Fitzy. Like he, like, go. you know, he, Hey, look, he, he won, uh, his U.S. amateur title in Brookline, which is essentially part of Boston. So there are a lot of Fitzies in Boston. So uh, I think we can call him Fitzy, and I, I think that fits his persona. So, all right, I've got 7,600 left to spend. 
I'm going to throw a couple of names out at you here and see which ones you like the most. Okay, there's – I'll give you four names of guys that are just under this, uh, this pricing. Scott Stallings, Eric Van Royen, Patton Kazire, and Sepp Straka. Sepp Straka, your boy. Um, I do. I'll Stallings Tom, played well. Tom Hoagie. Stallings. Can I throw Tom Hoagie in there too? You John can. Gatlin, Remember, you mentioned Vegas. him as a guy oh, who makes man, a lot of birdies. Tom Hoagie makes a lot of birdies. Yeah. Um, Scott Stallings played well for a while last week. He's just kind of a wildly inconsistent performer. Yeah. That's that's a tough call. By the uh, way, before you go any further, I will say he's not in yet, but I love the long shot top 10 play on Scott Stallings. If he somehow gets into the U.S. Open, he won at Torrey Pines back in 14. He was second the next year. We've talked about big, strong guys who were able to win at the U.S. Open. He might be the only guy you'd put against Brooks Kepka in an arm wrestling contest. I'm just saying, if Scott Stallings, I, I assume he's going to go play in a qualifier and try to get in. If he qualifies for the U.S. Open, I like him a lot. Okay, continue. Sorry. That's a great call. That's an excellent call. It's, it's you know, six, seven years removed now from the peak of what, you know, the what the top of his PGA Tour career was. But he was awesome in that tournament over the years. Yeah. Um, so going back to the those picks, uh, man, you know Van Royen isn't playing as well as he did a year ago at this time. I'm kind of no. kind of fizzled out on him. Pat Desire's made a ton of cuts, made a ton of money this year. Um, it's between him and Straka probably for me. That's what I would narrow it down to. Kazire hits on a few of those different birdie metrics that I mentioned earlier. He he just shows up where um, I think he makes a lot of big numbers. But if this is indeed set up easier, like we think it might be, or like I think it might be at least, um, then maybe those big numbers aren't out there to be had, and you can just basically fire at flag sticks and make a whole lot of birdies. So let's go with Patton Kazire in this last spot, 7,300, leaving 300 on the board. We got Matt Fitzpatrick, Taylor Gooch, Patton Kazire, Keith Mitchell, Sebastian Munoz, Scotty Scheffler. I like that lineup a lot. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go this week, but – um, that should be a solid lineup. I, I can't wait to dig in a little more, make my 150 lineups once again this week. It was, it was so cool. It was so good for a while last week. Oh man, it was good. And then it was bad. And then, and like at the end of the week on DFS, I, I think I was down like $12 or something. It was the ride though. I mean, the, the absolute roller coaster of emotions over the weekend was at, at one point seeing well into the five figures and then another point, seeing like under $100, seeing the two figures. I, it's just like, what the, like, it's just boom, 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 back and forth. It's fun. <laughs> hey, when you can't cash it, I'm glad you could find value in the journey you had along the way. Thank you. That is, I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. I know invariably you'd rather have the in the payday and, you know. No, I'd rather have the wisdom from Jay Ray every single time over the payday. So there you uh, go. thanks everybody out there. To listen for listening once again to the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM for Justin Ray of the Twenty First Group. I'm Jason Sobel. Good luck with all your bets for this week's AT&T Byron Nelson. Here's hoping you hit the green. We're finished talking. <laughs> 